Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. I want to invite all of you to open up your Bibles or your devices or your bulletin to page nine, where we will read Philippians chapter two, which will serve as the basis of our sermon this morning. Philippians chapter two. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, guys. What is Palm Sunday for? I want you to think about that. What is the significance? What is the meaning? Really, what's the relevance for you in terms of Palm Sunday? Because I mean it, if you were to read through the gospel accounts and Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem is recorded in all the gospel accounts, if you were to read that, you wouldn't, be blamed if you were to think that, well, that scripture account is more about a donkey than the divine son of God. There's a lot of ink spilled on the donkey. What's the significance of Palm Sunday for? I mean, you get to our gospel lesson to Luke and, well, the palms, the hosannas, the things that are hallmarks of this holiday, this holy day, not even mentioned here in Luke. What is Palm Sunday for? What's the relevance for Palm Sunday in your life? I heard it said that if you think about what takes place on Palm Sunday, there's a lot going on, but there's no sermon. There's no miracles being held. In fact, you could even say that what took place on Palm Sunday wasn't even required by Jesus to bring about your salvation. I mean, think about it. You, you want to know what he did after the triumphant entry? 
he went back to his Airbnb. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and as soon as he got there, he and his disciples went back out of town to get ready to celebrate the Passover. That's it. So what's this for? What is the significance, the meaning behind Palm Sunday? Should we even make a big deal out of it? Well, what I hope Scripture convinces you of over our next few minutes together is the truth that Palm Sunday is a big deal. In fact, there is significance to this day. In fact, there is so much relevance to Palm Sunday and what your Savior did on that day that it's life-changing. It absolutely, completely changes your mindset, the way you and I think about life. So here's how I hope that you and I can understand the significance of Palm Sunday better. What we're going to do today is zero in on Scripture, and that's not any different than what we do any Sunday we gather together. But what we're going to do this Sunday is we're going to zoom in. We're going to zoom in on a very specific experience or, or instance in Scripture, and then we're going to zoom out. We're going to zoom out on Scripture and, and see the big picture and how this specific example fits into a broader biblical narrative. All right, we're going to zoom in. Then we're going to zoom out on Scripture. And then we're going to zoom in on your life and mine and then zoom out again and see what the significance or relevance of this day, of Palm Sunday, is for us in our lives. All right, you with me? So we're going to zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, and zoom out. And yet to do that, to zoom in, like if you think of maybe the analogy of a camera lens, well, you need just that to do that. You need a lens. You need a lens through which you're going to look at your life and scripture. And our lens for this morning is what we just read together here from Philippians chapter 2. It is this beautiful poem, some think even a hymn, that Christians would sing about Jesus Christ and, and who he was and his mindset. So here we go. We're going to zoom in on a very specific instance in Scripture from Philippians, which we just read. And you might think, okay, we're going to zoom in on Philippians chapter 2, the words we just read but no, not yet. Because what we're going to do is maybe step back or step in and unpeel some layers about why it is that Paul wrote what he wrote to Christians in a city called Philippi to people who were a church just like you and I. Here's the backstory. Paul helped start this Philippian congregation and over the past 10 years, this congregation had a lot of good things to celebrate. There was a lot of good. Yes, there was some bad. Paul was imprisoned and, and other Christians, they were persecuted too, but they were resilient. And so in the face of that, there was so much good to celebrate. In fact, this is kind of a picture of what a healthy Christian church looks like. They used their financial gifts and they stewarded all of the things God had given them to support gospel ministry, to support Paul's gospel ministry, both in Philippi and 
throughout other missionary journeys. In fact, at one point, they were the only church that Paul had helped start that were supporting him. And so why does Paul write to them here in Philippians? Well, it's really three reasons. One is to just say thank you. Thank you for being partners in gospel ministry. Thank you for supporting gospel ministry. Second reason was to encourage them. Because while they were strong in their faith, Paul wasn't blind to the fact that they suffered, that there was persecution, that there was people outside of the congregation looking to pull them apart. So he he wrote to thank them. He wrote to encourage them. And then there's a third reason he wrote to them. And the reason is that everything was good. Everything was good in the congregation. And, and Paul knew that when things are good, Satan would like nothing more than for things to be not good. When there's unity, he would like to sow seeds of disunity. And perhaps there wasn't a problem yet, but Paul knew there was maybe some rumbling, some, some bubbling of disunity in the congregation. And, and so Paul goes right at it. And I want us to zoom in even further on that. We didn't read this. This is from chapter four, where, where Paul offers up this encouragement. He says, I plead with Euodia and Synecdoche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since They have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Here's the truth. In carrying out a congregation's work and a congregation's witness, in going about the mission and the ministry of a church, people with differing opinions and as humans, we all have them, and people with differing personalities, unique personalities, we all have them, people are going to work together, come together, and they will inevitably clash. It's inevitable. It will happen that maybe it's not something big that triggers it, but words are spoken or maybe words that should be spoken aren't. Maybe it's a look. It's something small, but feelings get hurt. Egos get bruised. People become sad. And as a result, resentment can begin to bubble to the surface. And unity can quickly be torn apart. And and disunity can result. And so what Paul wants to do is is stop it right away. And and what he does here is he, he doesn't get into the details about who did what or what's even going on. But but what we know is that people who love Jesus, Synecdoche, Eodia, women who have who have served passionately and compassionately for the sake of the gospel who know Jesus, who love Jesus, well, they're at odds. And, and that could mean, if it didn't already mean, that 
the dispute means the congregation and the unity within the congregation, the church, well, it becomes disunity. And so look at what Paul does. Paul doesn't blame. He does not shame. He doesn't even get into the details. No, Paul handles this with marvelous tact and Christian love. But instead of looking at what he does not do, I want to show you the one thing he does. He drops a word on him, a word that I would like you and I to know. Froneo. Can you say that with me? Froneo. (laughs) Froneo means to develop an attitude or a mindset after carefully considering something. What Paul does is he says to these two women to be of the same mind, to be of the same phreneo in the Lord. In other words, he says, he says, look, Euodia, synecdoche, I, I want you to, after carefully considering all that you have in Christ, who you are in Christ, I want you to come about to this confident consistent mindset and attitude in the Lord. That's all Paul says. That's how he handles the disagreement. And why does he just handle it in this way? You ready to zoom back out? We zoomed in on them. Let's zoom out and see. It's because of what we read in Philippians chapter 2. He's already said in your relationships with one another, you ladies, you Christians, you everybody, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And there's that word again. Have the same phreneo as Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude and mindset after thinking about Christ Jesus in your relationships with one another. Oh, we're going to say more. We're going to freneo on Christ Jesus. We're going we're gonna to stop and reflect and think about this. What, what does it mean to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus? Well, here Paul launches into this beautiful hymn, this song, this poem about his Savior. He says this in verse 6. He says, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. And yet this isn't something that consumed Jesus' thoughts. Who he is, the one who has all claim and all rights to everything on earth, he didn't consider that to be something to use to his advantage. In other words, when he came here for you and your salvation, he didn't play the God card. He didn't say, you guys owe me all praise and glory, give it to me. No, he didn't do that. But instead, he did the opposite. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus emptied himself. He, he made himself nothing. So you have to ask the question, what does it mean that he made himself nothing? He's true God and true man. But what all the New Testament witnesses to, what our Lutheran confessions witness to, is the truth that he didn't completely empty himself out. No, true God, true man. What he did was he set aside all his power, 
all his glory that he could have exercised at a minute. And we see it. He does it at times, right? But most of the time, what does he do? He sets that aside, but instead he puts on a disguise so you don't see that. And what does that disguise look like? It looks on the very nature, the very form of a servant. And not just any old servant, but a servant who served his master to the max. A servant who, being found in appearance of a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Despite the fact that he's God, despite the fact that he had all claims to this deity, he put on a disguise of a servant. To what extent? To the extent that it killed him. That he came to suffer and die for others. That is the extent to which your Savior emptied himself. Because he himself said... Not even the Son of Man comes to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, as the price for many. And then, and then, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I highlighted some cool words in the previous previous ones, but here I just highlighted therefore. And it's because it's a really cool word you might get the impression that Jesus was exalted because, well, God saw that he emptied himself, that he didn't claim his divinity, use it to his advantage, and kind of gave him an attaboy. Thanks, Jesus, you did it. No, 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 no. That's not what the therefore means. It means for the very reason that this was the plan. This was the plan from all eternity to send his son to suffer and die in the place of human beings like you and me who could not and did not live perfectly for this reason, for this very reason that your savior in time accomplished this fact of your salvation for you. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest name and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We zoomed in. We zoomed out. Is the focus clear? Could it be any more clear about what Paul was telling Christians that he loved, including these two ladies, in your relationships with one another? Think like Christ. Be like Christ. Think about all that you have in the one who gave up everything for you and And live out of that in your relationships with one another. Here's the big idea that we're looking at for today. It's that the humility of Christ is the glue that unites us. It is his humility and the work that he accomplished in his humiliation, his suffering, his death. That's what unites us. That's the only thing that brings people people together. Ready to zoom in on your life? Ready to look at your relationships with one another? 
So we're going to zoom in, zoom out on Scripture, and we're going to zoom in on your life and mine. Maybe let me frame it this way. This past week, I had no less than six people ask me, hey, Matt, how's it going? And when people ask me that, and they work in the church too, they're not really so much concerned with how Matt's doing. What they mean is, how are you doing? How are the brothers and the sisters in faith who are part of the Way family, how are they doing? And the first couple of times I answered that question, I was uncomfortable because I didn't really know what to say except it's all good. But then after a few more times, I realized, no, that's reasons to praise God, that it's all good. Like it is all good. Spiritually, people tell me on Sundays and during the week that they are growing in the grace and the knowledge of their God, that they are coming closer and closer to the cross of Christ. This is good. And it's not just spiritually, it's also personally that that those same people tell me that more and more people are knowing about this because of their Christian witness to their friends and family. And it's not just spiritually, it's not just personally. Let's talk the way Paul talks in his letter. It's also financially that you give offerings, gifts, and tithes, and you give it to such an extent that now we have to have a meeting after church to talk about how we're going to spend this to the praise and the honor and the glory of Christ so more people know him. Well, in the words of Paul, your gifts are a beautiful offering, holy, pleasing, and acceptable to your God. It's all good. So let's zoom in, because it's, it's when it's all good, we should ask the question, what are we going to do when it's not? And I said when it's not, not if it's not, purposefully, because our ministry is a ministry that points people to the cross, right? But it's also a ministry that's under the cross, which means we pick up our crosses, we follow Christ. And guess what? Crosses have splinters, crosses have nails, and it's not always easy. And it's not always easy when people with unique personalities and differing opinions, and if you're a person, you got them. When people come together for the work and the witness of the church, the ministry and the mission of Christ's church, well, inevitably, it'll, it'll happen that we will clash. What will it take? What will it be? I mean, let's get all the cards out on the table before it happens. Will it be about how decisions are made? What decisions are made? Who makes decisions. Will the reason that unity is threatened be because of change? Think about the fact that we've changed because we've grown spiritually and personally. Will unity be threatened because we purchase a building? 
And, and praise God that we get to move on to that next milestone as the church grows. But now, what color do we paint the walls? Or maybe it's, it's not silly things like that. Maybe it's serious things. Like, by God's grace, what, what happens if we, if we get to move into a building and all of you who, who gave your hard-earned money to make that happen and who gave of your time to make that happen, you watch as people who did none of those things just come and enjoy it. Will it be because maybe God has different plans? We, we, we don't get to take that next step, that milestone of, of having a permanent home and disagree about what to do next. Will it be because something that God's word says is it's hard to understand? Will it be because of something your pastor says? your leaders, something they say or do that you don't like. We're asking the question, what will it be? What, what is it that's going to cause disunity? Because I forgot, but I should. I should probably add this disclaimer here. I don't know. I don't know of anything that is causing disputes or disagreements or dissension among anybody. It's all good. But what happens when it's not? how will you take on the same mindset of Christ Jesus? Maybe, maybe a different way to let that question settle is this. What does it look like for you to empty yourself, to become nothing? And to what extent are you willing to do that? Christ Jesus made himself nothing to the point of death. You think about what it means to die to self. If that worries you or concerns you, let this one thing be certain in your life. Look, your king comes. Your king comes to you. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. Your king comes. And when he comes, he comes with peace. He comes with peace in heaven and he comes with peace on earth. Do you know what that means? It means that it's all good. It's all good between you and God, and therefore, it's all good between you and anyone else you have a relationship with. Do you want to know what the significance, the importance of Palm Sunday is about? Why Jesus came the way he did? It was to send a message. When Christ Jesus came, he came gentle and riding on a donkey, and he did this because you know who comes riding in on a donkey? It's kings. It's kings who have conquered. It's kings who want to send a message that the foes have been defeated and there is nothing but peace in their land. But here's the irony. Jesus still had the battle ahead of him. He was still days away from Good Friday where he would go to battle against sin, death, and the devil. 
And yet you see what he's doing. He's at once coming humbly, gently, but at the same time, he's pulling a Babe Ruth and he's calling his shot. He's saying he's going to hit a home run. He's going to win, but he's telling you how he's going to do it. He's going to do it not the way typical kings do. He's going to do it by emptying himself. He's going to do it by becoming a servant, even to the point of dying on the cross. You want to know what the significance of Palm Sunday is for your life? It's as we contemplate Christ Jesus and and take on the very mindset of him. Well, the only way we can do that is by being confident and secure in what we have in him. It's riding on him. It's walking with him and knowing that we have peace in heaven. We have glory, not of our own, but glory given to us because of Christ Jesus. And that's why we can do this. We can empty ourselves. We can, we can take on the very same mindset as Christ Jesus and not worry about what status we have from anybody else because you know what God did to Jesus? He super exalted him. He exalted him above every name that ever was because Christ Jesus found his identity, his purpose in whom he served And the only way that you and I get to do that is by reflecting on him and what he has done for us and and what we have in him. You learned a word this morning, freneo. It means to develop an attitude or a mindset. But after careful consideration, after really thinking deeply, reflecting on something, Can I give you one more take home with this word? That this week is Holy Week. Palm Sunday starts a week of holy days. Holy days, which, from which we get the name holiday. And you think about what you do on a holiday or a holy day. Typically on a holiday, your schedule changes, right? You, you, you stop the hustle and you grind and you just take time to rest, right? That's what a holiday is. And so here's my encouragement for you. With the holy days that you have up ahead on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, use them for careful reflection. Use them to deeply think about what Jesus has done for you. Stop the hustling and the grinding. Stop the excuses for why you can't. But it is a time for a holiday, a holy day, to take time to think about how on Good Friday, on that day, Christ Jesus took on the form of a servant to the extent he died for it. But on Easter Sunday, Christ Jesus rose again and having obeyed his father to the max, was raised to life for your justification, for your righteousness, and for your holiness. So now you and I, we experience all that is good in him. Amen.